You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. Welcome to To Dine For, the podcast where we meet the world's most innovative and creative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Beth Moore. The Bible studies got to be enormously popular, more so than I would have dreamed, planned, or asked for, or could deal with. Beth Moore is an author and Bible teacher who started teaching small group Bible classes when she was 18. With no formal theological training, she is currently one of the most prominent evangelical voices in America. She takes me to her favorite steakhouse in Houston, aptly called Taste of Texas. There, Beth shares her journey from a troubled childhood to one of the leading speakers and authors in evangelical America today. Please enjoy my conversation with Beth Moore. I am thrilled you brought me to Taste of Texas. Well, this could not be a more perfect pick for what we want to do, Kate. (laughs) I thank you for coming, and I thank you for letting me pick it. Oh, 
Hello, ladies. Welcome in today. Hi, Cody. Thank you. Of course. How are y'all doing today? Doing great. So well. Cody, thank you. My pleasure. Welcome to Taste of Texas. Okay, this is such an iconic appetizer, Kate. So this has been served, this cream cheese with a little bit of salsa, with the same little toast for as many years as we have been coming here. And I can't wait to tell you a little bit of history because we go back almost to their opening many, many years ago. Really? Yes, we would have started coming to this restaurant at its other location only about two or three years into their existence mm. and been eating this same appetizer. It's delicious. Yes, it I, is. I can't it's wait delicious. to try it. Yeah. So I'm curious as to, of all the restaurants in Houston, and there are some fabulous restaurants in Houston, Texas, why did you choose this one as your favorite spot? Well, for one thing, it is iconic Texas. When I began to think, where could we host you that you could really taste, mm -hmm. and I, I'm uh, being a little bit ironic there with the name, but <laughs> where you could taste a lot of Texana, this would be it because it really is not only a restaurant, it is its own museum of sorts. <laughs> it's enormous. Oh my goodness. And, and uh, Nina Hindi, who is, of course, the co-owner, she even does tours out of it. She'll do school classes, will come in and she'll tour them through the history of Texas. So that was a huge part of it. Plus, my family has so much history here. Mm. We've been coming here for so long, three generations. So when this restaurant was over at another location and it was much smaller, just a, a, a white wooden building, and but we loved it and it was fine, fine food even then. The kind of thing you go to eat with your in-laws because they're the ones paying. Mm. So my kids were really, really little at the time when we started going, but it was so, the atmosphere was so warm and so very, very Texas that it just became a favorite. So we have quite a lot of history here. So when you come into Tastes of Texas, you think of all these different memories of your family, oh, gosh, of your yes. children. Oh, wait till I tell you. Really? Oh, good heavens, yes. My daughter's first true love of restaurants was right here. This is my oldest daughter. She wanted her seventh birthday party to be here. <laughs> and this was at the other location because one of the things that they always did was that whatever dessert the birthday girl or birthday boy got, and this was a nice restaurant, but they would always accommodate children. Mm. So they would get a sparkler in their dessert. <laughs> oh, and I mean, fun. it would just be like, they loved it. And then best of all, every single evening it was open that I know of, every time we ever went, they had a carriage and a horse that you could take rides with your family on it. So you could be waiting on dinner and somebody's out there taking your kids on a horse and carriage ride. So they're smart. They know what, what, what brings people oh, back over and they over. they really, really do. If you win and the kids. So yeah, so it was all about horses for Amanda. It was about food for us and it was about horses for them. So yeah, we have a lot of history so here. So history and just some amazing memories. Yes. There's something about someone's favorite restaurant where life happens. Yes. You know, where you make your memories, where you celebrate great things yes. in life. Yes. It's a very special place. It, it really is. And yeah. you don't very often find one that is still going to be very welcoming to your kids. Right. And, you know, one of the things that is fun about all the Texana history is that for me, now my family would consider that I'm really not even a true Texas. 
because uh, you weren't born here. Heritage of an individual because I was not born here. Mm -hmm. You have to be born here. I, I moved from Arkansas when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. so they really would not even consider that I'm legit. They're all three <laughs> legit. My husband, I got so tickled, Kate, because. My husband, this is his proudest moment for me. Now we've been married um, 43 years mm. and we have had a lot of opportunities together, but he has never been prouder than today. I just can't even tell you because why? Because I was giving you a taste of Texas and mm. he said, I need you to tell her <laughs> that I am a son of the Republic. I said, I'm going to try to explain to Kate what that even means. And that means his people go all the way back to the time that Texas was a Republic. Mm. And so his great, great, great grandfather settled here in the early 1800s, not very far from here. So, oh, the stories it, go on and on. It's kind of like the owner who was the first to tell me that he is a fourth generation Houstonian. Same as and my And very husband. proud. Oh, they are. So proud of they being are. from here. It is the most peculiar thing. You know, you Texas you, pride. <laughs> it is. You sit to the outside of it, and you know that you are never going to belong. It doesn't matter how I've, I've been here. You know, nearly well close to fifty years. It doesn't make any difference because I was not born here. You're right. So my heritage is just thrown well, off. I'd love to kind of talk about that. You grew up in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. I certainly did. You've got your homework done. Arkadu. Yep. Yes. How do you know it? Because I lived in Arkansas for five years. I was a local news reporter. I know Arkadelphia very well. Were you in Little Rock? I was in Little Rock. My, I know Jose Sanders, who grew up in uh, Arkadelphia. He now is a anchor in Chicago. I know um, Tony Rankino, whose father you taught at OBU. You to be kidding. Um, my college roommate at Notre Dame's grandmother, Kitty Holland, was the mayor of Arkadelphia many years ago. I am <laughs> astounded. I feel like all roads lead back to Arkadelphia. They, they really, really do. <laughs> and what a lot of people may not know that makes it a, a bit distinctive for a small Arkansas town is that it, because it had two colleges, it was filled with educators. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a little bit different than you might picture mm -hmm. when you think of a small Arkansas town, okay. because even at my church, we were just down the road. I attended First Baptist Church of Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and it was in walking distance, just about two blocks from Washita Baptist mm -hmm. University, and of course still is. Mm -hmm. But we had their educators. They were our Sunday school teachers, their, their music program so many of their people were the were overseeing our choir wow. programs and all of those kinds of things so we really got the best of it in so many ways and such such good training and, and tapped into I'm not musical but a lot of my brothers and sisters are and man they they spotted that talent so early on and nurtured it so it was a wonderful place uh, to have grown up Talk a little bit about your family life and what it was like to grow up in Arkadelphia yes. and really how it shaped you. Well, it's so complicated, Kate. I have a, <laughs> a very complex story, but I'm going to put it in a nutshell for you. And if you want to know any more about it, you can ask me further than that. But I'm going to assume that we'll go this, the shorter route here. That looks delicious. They wow. sure are. These are jalapeno stuffed shrimp with a cilantro cream sauce. Stuffed with the Monterey Jack cheese. Oh, yes. a lot of stuffed and stuffed and fried. Well, I love and it. jalapeno. <laughs> you need to understand, Kate, you can't come eat with us in Houston without having a jalapeno. I can't wait. You this just, this awesome. is the way it goes. It's Thank delicious. you so much, Cody. Thank you, Cody. It. Thank you. Oh, you care if I bless the food? Please. I'd be so, I'd be so delighted you. to do that. Lord, we are so grateful. 
uh, to be in this place and to have this uh, time of uh, fellowship. We are so grateful for such blessings and, and gifts that you've given us and, and for the pleasure to meet and the pleasure to have a good conversation. Make it, make it a blessing, Father. Cause people to uh, find some delight in it and some really good food in uh, Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, by all means. Thank you. This is incredible. So this is the jalapeno stuffed shrimp. Exactly. Wow. Now I, I got us, I want you to know, more food than you can possibly eat. <laughs> I saw that we're okay. having steak, which yes. I cannot wait. Yes, but still it was just imperative that we be able to have the taste. Now you want to put some of that I sure do. sauce cilantro on it. cream sauce, which looks just Okay, divine. so I am an army brat. Yes. So I was born in Green Bay, Wisconsin, but was there only a very short time because my dad was stationed there with the reserves. Mm -hmm. So we moved into Arkadelphia, which is our family home. I, my grandparents and great grandparents and great uncles and aunts and I mean, our people are all buried there. So this mm -hmm. is our true, Arkansas is our true home. And do you still have family there? Uh, yes. Yes. And I will also tell you that I, I really do know at the end of the day, as Texan as my husband is, and please by all means uh, eat Kate while I'm telling you this story, as Texan as my husband and all my, my people are now, I'd still tell you that I, I probably still bleed Arkansas. There's just something, it's, I'm very deeply rooted in it. So That's I was where there you're from. from. It, it is. Yeah. And, and when you're young, mm -hmm. growing up, so formative. Mm -hmm. I grew up, so from the time I was, uh, just before I was two years old until I was, it, isn't it? It's just wow. wicked. It's just wicked. It's just wicked. The crunch mm -hmm. and then that sauce and then the, sauce. And then the cheese. Yes. All together, it's just. It hits you like wham, wham, wham. It's just that perfect. really good. It's yeah. just perfect. Mm. So How can you not come here and get these? No, you have to get these. Yeah. I, I, my, my choice was made for me. There's nothing on the appetizer uh, list uh, in the menu that I, that I don't love, <laughs> but there are certain things that are just, you know, it's incumbent upon us as Texans <laughs> to make sure you eat it's all of them. It's an obligation. It's an obligation. Your husband will be happy. Mm -hmm. Yes, he wanted to come. <laughs> We had an extra chair. A whole different interview. <laughs> Did you tell him? You're gonna have to tell him. We had an extra chair for him. Oh. So you're an army brat. You've kind of traveled a little bit of everywhere, yes. but Arkansas is definitely Arkansas's home. home. But I, I have a very complicated background there because I was raised in a, a very, very unstable home, mm. and that is not to say, and I guess most people would feel this way. A lot of people would feel this way that there weren't wonderful things and that I wasn't loved in my family. I, I certainly was. But when you are abused inside your home, it has a way, especially in very young childhood, of offsetting all these wonderful, marvelous things. And when you don't know who to tell and you don't know who to turn to, and you're growing up in this environment and it's all secrets and shadows, it is extremely difficult, extremely. And so growing up in that, one of the oddities of it is that for me, it's why my church life meant everything. Mm -hmm. it, it truly was my, it was my harbor. Mm -hmm. My home was not safe mm -hmm. for me, but my church was. Mm -hmm. And that's not always the case, certainly. 
by any stretch of the imagination, but it was true for me mm -hmm. that my best childhood memories are right there in those walls and growing up there in choir and Sunday school and just, I don't know why, I've thought over and over why in the world I would have believed what I heard there when my life behind the shadows and behind closed doors and in secret was so different, but I did. I guess that the Lord just gave me the gift of faith for mm -hmm. it. But So it was so fundamental um, and at a time of tremendous trauma. Church was your safe harbor. It was a safe haven. Absolutely. It was everything to you and you turned your entire face towards Absolutely. church. Absolutely, because it, it was the most authentic place when you see hypocrisy, mm -hmm. not by everyone, but there's not a small enough amount of abuse that can come in your home that it does not throw everything. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's traumatic whatever level it's on. Mm -hmm. But it was authentic. Mm -hmm. Everything, every Sunday school teacher, every missions teacher, choir, handbell choir, Kate, you name it. We, it was the days where, where we went several times on Sunday, back again Wednesday, and very often another day of the week for whatever student program they were having, whatever we were doing to serve. So yeah, it was everything. And something else really fun, and because I, I want so much to offset the part of my upbringing that was tremendously hard, is that my dad ran the local movie theater and the drive-in. Oh, how fun. So when he, when I was six, he, retired from the army and he began to manage the local one screen on Main Street, the Royal Theater in Arkadelphia, Arkansas, and the drive-in just on the outskirts of town. And so that is a heck of a way to grow up. Free movies. Free movies. And he did it all through. Even when we moved to Houston, that was the work he did with multi-cinemas here. So movies, it, it just, that that whole life, yes. I could still sing most songs to any of the those early musicals. Mm. I know a, a lot of lines because in those days, a movie would come and it would stay with us. You know, it might be a week. Mm -hmm. And so we would see it over and over and over. I learned how to make change from from being behind the counter and giving back somebody change for a dollar after a Coke and popcorn. So this this was my life. So so many great things and then some really hard things and tragic things. Yes. So it's all wound up for me there. Yeah, I understand. It's a loaded question it's to loaded. ask, you know, how was your childhood? Yes. But what I'm hearing you say is you've used every bit of the good and the bad to really develop who you are right now. You know, if you're gonna be an authentic mm. person, that's the only choice you've got. Mm. What do you and mean by that? Every now and then, a woman will write me or say on social media, Beth, I so appreciate your honesty, and I find it to be the most interesting comment, mm. because what other way is there to live, and, and for what I do to minister, aside from enough transparency to say, I have been to hell and back. Mm -hmm. I know what it is like to feel like you can't get out, that you're trapped in a world and in a series of foolish decisions because it's not what I endured as a child and I don't, I don't get specific about it, mm -hmm. but it's the kind of thing 
that is so, uh, when, when you have no boundaries set around you and, and those boundaries are not respected, you don't even get a chance to build them, Kate, then you can imagine the kinds of decisions you make. Sure. And it's a pattern because if you don't know until you get a lot of the help that you need, you, you just keep repeating the same pattern. Mm. And because I was a Christian, mm. you know, I'd make terrible decisions and I'd be devastated over it because I, I wanted to be such a good girl so badly. And I gotta tell you, I don't wanna monopolize the conversation with this because I've got lots of wonderful parts of my story, Kate. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I mean, I was a, a little girl wishing so much that I could be a good girl. Mm. And it's such a tragic thing for a child. Mm -hmm. It's a, a very, a very heartbreaking thing that mm -hmm. a child is heaped with that kind of shame and that kind of guilt over something that they had absolutely no power over and was in no way their fault. Well, I say thank you for being so transparent and your honesty, because it really is helping to understand why you developed such a love of church, because it was your safe haven, yes, and how that ended up becoming your entire journey and path. Entire life, mm. truly. I, I have said so many times that Jesus not only saved my soul, but he saved my mind. Mm. Because that, that trap, trying to get to a place where I believed myself to be something that I did not feel, that I believed it long enough to begin to finally feel it. I, I could hardly say that without love in my throat, but it's the truth, that retraining of who you are and the value that you really do have mm -hmm. and um, how beloved you are to God. Those were things that over time, I, I first, I had to tell them to myself before I ever felt them, that it takes a while from what's, from getting what's in your head to finally sink down into your heart. And then, and I've taught this so many times because I'm a teacher to the bone, and I've told women as many as would listen to me that it's then, then that it takes that trip to the feet and you start walking differently and you start making different kinds of decisions and, you, and life starts changing. But, you know, I'll never forget it. And so it is a huge part of my story mm -hmm. because I know what it's like to think I am saddled to a life of cyclical failure. I will always do this. And you felt that even as oh. a small child? I felt it as a small child. I felt it as an adolescent. I felt it into my young adulthood. Wow. Oh, I would tell you that I didn't really break out of that mindset, even though my decisions would have changed and just learning how to do things differently. But I would say I didn't break totally out of that mindset uh, until I was around 40. Really? Yeah. And that's after years oh, of yes. Bible teaching. Absolutely. Being in the church. Absolutely. But what, what we would call free, to have freedom, to have real freedom to be who I was meant to be. Yeah. So I'm going to shift things up because I mm -hmm. like to, to go linear, but mm -hmm. you bring up such a good point. What do you think it was right around 40 that did allow you to get free? Because you had already been in the church, you'd already been teaching, you'd already been on a path that most likely felt like a calling. So what was it at 40 that really was the secret to unlocking that for you? I think for me, it was facing up to it, finally taking it on instead of, instead of it just being something to the side. One of the ways that I was raised as a child mm -hmm. was that, you know, put your past behind you and go on. Mm -hmm. That when, <laughs> to forget it, when, to forget it, right? right? To move on. 
move as quickly on. as possible. Well, let me tell you, when it comes to childhood trauma, yeah. that does not work. work. But that's, I was taught what, what they believed. Mm. And I mm. even understand where they got some of it, but it, it doesn't work. So it catches up with you. Yeah. And so you just try to, you think, okay, this is about always doing the right thing, doing the right thing, doing the right thing, doing the right thing. Well, sooner or later, you know, you got this thing inside of you that has never been treated. It's coming up like Goliath. Yeah. I mean, it's going to stand up to be reckoned with. And I think for a lot of people, Kate, those years come in the 30s. Mm -hmm. I think there is a reckoning. Mm -hmm. I think there is, you know, we grow up in our 20s, we're like, trying to figure out what direction we want to go, what we want to do. We're trying to get out there in the workforce. But I think and in do the, the right 30s, thing. yeah, trying it, to do the right thing, it, 30s. It, at some point, we start to challenge oh, yeah. all of the beliefs that yes. have been presented to oh, us. Oh, yes. And we almost, you know, we've, we've been so hard working hard trying to establish careers or jobs or families that, that we don't have time, we don't have energy, but it, it, it hits us. Then it comes. Do we believe <laughs> what we thought we believed. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. are we going to ignore what is in us with such turbulence? Mm -hmm. Or are we going to let that get the healing that it needs? Mm -hmm. And so for me, that was really, there was just so many losses, so many things happened in my 30s that put me in a, a really a desperate place where it was like, okay, if I only believe this much about God, I'm not going to survive. Mm. I'm going to just take him up on the whole thing. And so that was really, this was while I was first beginning to teach. I'm not going to be, a, I'm not gonna be partly a Christian. I'm going right. to go And I'm in. not going to be, I'm not going to think him small. Mm. I don't know exactly how to explain that. I came to a place where honestly, I said to him, if you are not bigger than I think you are, I'm not going to make it. So this very safe, you know, I was raised uh, wonderfully in, in church in so many ways, but with a very, very proper, sophisticated, not raw and messy mm -hmm. kind of relationship with mm -hmm. God, where mm -hmm. you could just like, Wah. Right. and so these were the years of that, mm. of I'm safe to break completely down mm. here. I'm safe to have nothing together. I don't have to act like I have anything together. I am safe to go to pieces and to believe that he is going to put me back together. Mm -hmm. And he, he, did, he did do that. Mm -hmm. And you know, I wish it was done, but I still have. We're always I, evolving, aren't we? I mean, I'm still. <laughs> Life is an evolution. Under, <laughs> that's right, I'm still, Kate, under quite a Sorry. lot of construction. Oh, that's so, hilarious. Yes, yes. Well, but I think that's one reason why so many women and I have enjoyed our journey together is that we have figured out somewhere along the way this this might not end. This might be lifelong. We kept hoping this would just be done, but I don't think it is. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you have a bite because that the one thing about this show is. I get to do the eating, and then the guest is doing a lot of the talking, and I always want them to enjoy well, the meal, too. Well, so. yes, Kate, but this is the way we would also see it, that this is your one shot at this place. <laughs> this I is was, true. Yes, this is I my taste look, of Texans. I had to look back and see what Texans, what Houstonians you had had on interview mm -hmm. here so that I could know. I, I'm just wondering where they took her. I was mm -hmm. so pleased to know that Mattress Mac took yes. you for Mexican food. He did, Lopez Family yes. Restaurant. Yes, because it was like, can I be a faithful Houstonian <laughs> 
and not take Kate to get Tex-Mex? I don't know. A lot of people are going to complain. But I knew this was it. I think a steak is right up there with mm-hmm. Tex-Mex as well. So you're in college. Mm-hmm. You're studying political science. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about going to law school. Mm-hmm. In government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you decide against it. My question is why, and were you starting your Bible teaching at that time, or had had you not yet started? I had not yet started. Oh, okay. Okay, so raised in the church. Mm -hmm. By this time, I've moved to Houston at at nearly 16. Okay. So I went to three different high schools, because the high school then that I attended the first year here split in two, and I went to yet another one. And at that time, my family was so broken Mm. that my parents did not go to church for just that little while and we had never ever missed. That was part of moving from a small town into a big city Mm. is that nobody knows you're not going. Mm. It's a very different life Mm. than I, than I grew up on. Mm -hmm. And, and so I was, I finished out high school there of course. And I went, I chose what is now Texas State University Mm -hmm. because it looks very much like Arkansas. Mm. It's very hilly Mm. and just the whole look of it. There's, there's a, a river that runs right in the middle of it, and all of that reminded me of Arkansas. Mm. So that's where I went. And so I had been serving church, my church since I was 12. Mm-hmm. Since from the time I came out of vacation Bible school, and that was, that was in the sixth grade, I began to help with it. Mm-hmm. So I helped with Sunday school, whatever. And so I was very much a, a teenager that had faith, mm-hmm. but I had not surrendered to a calling of any kind. So it's the summer after my freshman year. I go back home for the summer and my church says, I'm in a small community church at that point, my church says, well, we don't have anyone to take the sixth graders to camp. And I mean, this was like, what will become of the sixth graders? They'll be on the corner before we, you know what I'm saying? If they don't go to camp, terrible things can happen to sixth graders that do not go uh, to Bible camp. So, you know, this was just, this was just all this mentality. And I said, well, you know, I mean, I'm just 18. I just turned 18, but if you, can trust me, then I, I mean, before I could finish the sentence, they had, they had filled the van it's up. You. <laughs> it was me. We pick you. This had nothing to do with no air conditioning at the, at the Texas camp. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I mean, it was like, you're the one. So they drove us there with this, oh, I guess about half a dozen sixth grade girls. And it was there at that camp. I've tried to tell this story before. And, you know, I just guess that your guests and viewers need to go ahead and know me like I really am and, and think that I'm as weird as I really am because I don't know another way to put this. But early one morning toward the end of that week, I was by myself and listen, if I were gonna make this story up, I would put it in a different place than the lavatory, I would. I would not do it with stalls, with green bathroom stalls right behind me and with the shower head dripping. So this is my story. But while I am in there, I am about to brush my teeth and I have something happened that has never ever been repeated in that same way. I felt such a sudden presence of God around me, not, not in me, around me. There was no noise, I did not see anything, I did not hear anything. But something so vivid happened to me that I literally put my hands on the side of the sink, that white 
at White Sink, you're just picturing it, and you, you can even picture the glass at camp, mm -hmm. you know, that concrete kind of room, and the, the mirror that's in front of me with all the little, you know, nicks in it. Can yes, you just picture yes. it? Yes, And it's a little, it, it's a little fogged up, and I'm even holding on. Your oh, that is beautiful, Cody. Are you all done with your shrimp? You know what? I'm going to leave it to the side. Okay. Okay. And it's your six-ounce fillet cooked medium with the That is going to be perfect. Oh, Absolutely. It Isn't is that sizzling. Gorgeous? Yes. Now, you need to also know that we also own these. At home? <laughs> yes. Because of this restaurant, you had of to get course. your own? <laughs> of course. You just have to know. That when I say we have some background with these people, we <laughs> have some background with these people. Thank you. And you all got potatoes. Amazing. That was wow. Okay, Cody, Look at I these. have to tell her something that I've heard Nina say about these all gratin potatoes. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if she still says it or not or would own up to it now, but she just calls it fat in a pan. <laughs> it really is. It is just like fat butter. in a pan. Bring it on. And butter and cheese. and cheese. It really, really it's is. It's delicious. Thank I never you. heard her say that, but you, she's never lied to us. You, so. Listen, listen. It was just the perfect. I always want to order it just exactly like that. Oh, yeah. Just exact. I just, and, and I'd like a side. Uh, fat in a pan. Yes. There you go. Thank you, Cody. Ladies, enjoy. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Wow. This, Isn't it beautiful? Yes, it really is. So when you make steak at home, you have these, you put them on so it's, they stay warm. Oh, yes. And, and so you put this, you can put this in the, uh, in the oven and get it nice and hot. So you want to make absolutely sure that when you do your steak, you don't have it more done than you want it because it's going to sizzle a little bit right here. Yeah. So I'll make a filet yes. just like that. Oh, yes. This is amazing. Okay. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. I, I, you know, gosh, you know, we, pardon this interruption for this amazing no. food. Isn't it marvelous? It really is. Let's take our first bite here. Now, I, I have to tell you something about Houston while we're getting these first couple of bites. It's good. It's really good. We are well aware that we are not the most beautiful city in Texas. Very well aware. We get reminded of it often. We get reminded that we are not a lot to look at. But I promise you, I give you my word, you cannot find better food, not only in the state of Texas, you cannot find better food on the planet that you can find in Houston, Texas. I love we to are, hear that. We are very proud of it. We are not just proud of it, we are arrogant about our food. <laughs> arrogant about our food. We feel like we get to be yes. because we have terrible weather. We just like get to be. Oh, and then these fried, Fried onions mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. top. Oh, oh, yes. Amazing. Okay. Mm. So, you've taken these sixth graders mm -hmm. to camp. I've had this weird You're experience. In the bathroom. In the bathroom. You are white knuckling mm. the um, His presence. Yes, uh -huh. and you're feeling God. Uh huh. And what is he saying? Nothing. 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 Absolutely nothing. But I'll tell you, and in fact, when the moment passed, uh, I, I stood there and thought to myself, what does one do next? Because what in the world was that? And so, you know, I brushed my teeth. I, I'm just, it makes me laugh every time I think about it because I brushed my teeth and spit. You know, what? <laughs> at the same sink where I had sensed the divine presence, I'm just going to spit in the sink. But what but, did you, at that moment, what did you think that was? Was that just a I nod knew, you were in the right direction? I knew it was the Lord. I knew it was. And what now that I am older and can look back on the moment, because I've had so many friends along the way that I have 
I, relu I was reluctant for years to tell it because a call comes all sorts of different ways. Mm -hmm. Even in the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, there's no one way, there's no one paradigm uh, for a calling. So it, it happens all different ways. But So I didn't want anybody to think it needs to look like that. No, it doesn't. You don't need any kind of mystical experience at all. Mm -hmm. um, you, you don't have to feel anything at all. You can just go, man, this is what I really want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And it can take place in all sorts of ways. It can take place in any secular environment. It can just, just you bring that, the, that witness of love and light into that place. And so I was reluctant, but when I started telling it, I had friends that said all sorts of things and they could explain it immediately. Well, Beth, it was this. Well, Beth, it was this. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. But when I've been asked, what word would you put with it? Ownership. I would tell you that what I knew, because I knew my entire future had just changed. So understand, mm -hmm. I didn't, hear anything. I didn't even have words that were made clear to me in my heart. Nothing. But I knew it was over. I knew every plan I had for myself. Now everything was uh, up in the air. I knew it. You knew that you were on a new and distinct path. 100%. But did you know what that path was? Absolutely not. Okay. I, so you knew you were headed in the right direction, but you were open to finding out what it was. Oh, yes. And, and that took years. I'm not certain now. <laughs> I really felt like from the beginning, it was like, I'll let you know as we go. Mm. And that's really what I've done all of these years. So I don't know how I had the wherewithal. I think back on this moment and think, girl, how did an 18 year old know to do this? Because I mean, I was a mess. But somehow I, I had the thought, go to the camp director and tell her what's happened. Mm. And so I did, and would you believe she believed me? Mm. And you know, I look back on that and I think, oh my goodness, this could have gone such a different way. And she said, I want you to go home. I want you to tell your pastor. I want you to tell your church. And they're gonna guide you from there. And again, that could have been disastrous. I, would, right. I was the perfect candidate to uh, groom mm -hmm. and abuse. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And that just, it just never happened to me. Mm. It just, it never happened to me. My, Again, my traumas were at home mm -hmm. and not, not at church. Mm -hmm. And I just thank God my story is different from a lot of people's mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. But that began, she said, I think you're, you have a call to surrender to vocational Christian service. That's what we called it back yeah. in the day. And so at that point, what I said to the Lord was, then I surrender. You got it, whatever you want. But I, I didn't know what to do because there was no direction with it, except it would have been the those two words, follow me. It was like, I'll show you, you go where I go. So take me from that moment, knowing it, mm -hmm. feeling, uh, uh, at least you know you're going somewhere, right? Yes. At, least, at yes. least it's a distinct, I'm going this way, to when you start Speaking teach, and yes, teaching. Te yeah. Yes. So at the time, soon after that, in no time at all, I was chaplain of my sorority. Then I became president. Mm. I look back on that because I think, oh, that means nothing. Oh, oh, that's not true. Because I was, he was already putting me up front, but I couldn't, I couldn't have seen that at mm. the time. And so then I just complete my degree. I don't know what else to do. Cause I didn't get a sense. I even tried later to see if seminary would work for me, but it didn't work with my, with my family. It didn't work for my children. It was all the way very far on the other side of Houston. Okay. And I couldn't manage getting back in time for my kids at school, all those kinds of things. So I was just like, what, whatever you want, what, I'll just do whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, this is, 
this is such, this sounds so ridiculous, and we're just down the road from it. So you and I are sitting on Interstate 10 West, which is a very central part of Houston, Texas. So just about 10 minutes east of here is this enormous church, Houston's First Baptist. So I am, they have hired me to do, to oversee their aerobics program for women in their Christian Life Center. I'm not even going to bore you with how this happened. But I become, this is the first way I really officially serve. And so, and it's the most, one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life. So I do it to all Christian contemporary music. I mean, it's I aerobics to it. Christian music? 100%. We, listen, I ended up teaching that class for 12 years. I taught like four or five times a week. It was a blast. Oh, it was a hilarious. blast. But when I was then in my mid-20s, a woman that was a speaker at my church that by this time I'm getting to know, she asked at a women's conference, would you come and do a breakout session? That's what we always mm. called it back in that day. Mm -hmm. Do a breakout session. Mm. And would you talk about Christian fitness? Why in the world that mm. would even matter? Mm. You know, what, what in the world would anything physical matter to, to a Christian? Mm -hmm. Would you talk about that in that breakout? Yes, I will. She came to it and stayed. And she said to me, I don't know what your plans are, but she said, I suspected and now I know. She said, I'm gonna tell you right now, you are called to speak. And mm. this is such an important mm. point, Kate, you'd be able to testify to the same thing when the part that people play in your life, when they are seasoned at something and they see something in you that you cannot see in your own mirror. Mm. And yet they, they know that world. They know that kind of gifting. They've got it, so mm -hmm. they know how to spot it. Yes. And they humbly come to you and say, I think you're supposed to do this. Yeah. And so I began doing what you would call um, just uh, motivational speaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then... And, is, and did that include sharing your story, your testimony, and really giving, bearing witness to what you believe? Very much bearing witness yep. to what I believe. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think when I first, I know that when the first book I wrote, just the dumbest thing ever, but the first thing I wrote that we just self-published, I mentioned it there, uh, that, I had ha that I have a background of sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. it, and I think back about that because I think, girl, you told it so fast, there was no, you throw something out like that, there's no way to bring it back in. Right. And it was, a, it was just, I'm gonna say a good thing yep. because I, I didn't need to pull it back in. It is a part, it's not my identity, but it is a part of my story. And it is a part of what compelled me, I mean, to my bones, to minister in such a way that it would be to real needs and really raw lives instead of just playing church. Mm -hmm. That was so important to me because it's like, listen, I'm gonna tell you something. This is the only reason I'm in one piece. Mm. So it was, that was you, so you, big. You knew that there was an, a young Beth Moore in the audience that needed to hear what you had to say. I knew yesterday online that those women were there. Mm. I knew this morning in some people that I talked to that I always know. Mm. I always know. Mm -hmm. I, I think about them constantly because I know what they're thinking. They are thinking 
No, it's for someone else that doesn't have all this baggage. Oh, I know because I thought all of it. Mm -hmm. So, oh yeah, I, I've got, she sees the chill bumps on my arm. This is not a game to me. Mm -hmm. This is, this is life. This is, this is my life passion. This is what keeps me awake. Mm -hmm. So, um, I then was introduced to a, I was teaching Sunday school by now, terrible, <laughs> attended a Bible doctrine class and watched a man, my teacher, so astounded me with how much he loved to study scripture that I said to the Lord, I don't know what that is, but I want it. And I've said so many times, he just struck a match against a stone and put a torch in my in my heart that has not gone out to this day. Well, I was gonna say, because I think one of the things that really differentiates you is your knowledge, your passion for I, I the Bible. It. I love it. And I'm always, I think your understanding of the etymology of words mm -hmm. and, and the Greek and the Latin and how words can play tricks on us and they can mean different things yes. depending on who said them. And Kate, that's very, very insightful. I'm so glad and that I, you I mean, it is clearly a, on some a of gift of yours. Well, it's a gift of yours to really not only have the passion to learn and the aptitude to, do, to know that, but then to be able to communicate it. Well, I, I'm so grateful that you said that, but I'm gonna tell you something. You very naturally want to communicate two different things. What you feel like is saving your life, mm and what you love. Mm. I mean, you, you want, one of the biggest struggles I have as a teacher is that I want them to know everything I studied. Now, mm. I'll be teaching for an hour, but I studied for how many hours that week, and I <laughs> want them to know every single bit of it. But, and I'm a lot in a class, I'm a lot, because <laughs> you know I bring all of this with me. But you know, I've been one that's ripped, accidentally ripped my microphone off, and my head, you know, my head, Everything is just, you know, it's just been a mess. But I've laughed with women and said, listen, if your Bible teacher isn't excited about what she's teaching, what do you do with that? You have described yourself as sanguine. Which would be in Enneagram numbers, I am a big seven. What does I, sanguine mean? It means really affable, a whole lot of outgoing kind of personality, don't ever meet a stranger, that kind of thing. And it means you're putting yourself out there constantly. Mm. It means you're also a lot to people. And you know, there are some people- So it's an <laughs> accurate description. Oh, oh. Well, when people will say every now and then, you know, Beth, I really love you, but you were a lot for me back then. You know, I always, I get it. I was a lot for myself. To this day, I can't, I can't bear to watch myself. Mm. Yeah, but if I'm in the middle of doing it, you know, it's one thing. But I always, you know, I'll say, I'll tell myself over and over, tone down. Just tone down. I'll write it on top of my notes. Tone down. Keep it down. Keep it down. Keep, and then I'll just be in the throes of it. Well, you talk about honesty, and you talk about truly being yourself. And hey, you got to go for it, right? I mean, you got to go for it, and it's working for you. Well, how I feel about it is that there are so many good Bible teachers out there. If one doesn't work for you, and if that learning style doesn't work for you, there's going to be another one. Yeah. I never take away anybody's right to just go. You are not my taste. <laughs> You're just not my taste, but we could have mutual esteem and go, you know what, I know that you're the real thing. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute, but first, thank you to our sponsors. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. When you started to do Bible studies and have groups of women meet for the express purpose of, of learning about the Bible, and you started to see some of those crowds grow, you must have realized, wow, maybe this is a talent of mine. Maybe this, I am onto something. I probably had written the fourth in-depth Bible study. Mm -hmm. So these are weeks and weeks long when I went for the first time, hmm, this may be something I'm supposed to do. I don't know. Every now and then I can be really blonde about something. <laughs> and I think it probably comes back to the fact that I am just by my fabric, you know, of my upbringing and all, I'm still going to very much doubt myself I'm still going to think if I'm up against a situation where somebody with a better track record feels one way and I feel another, I'm going to be overwhelmingly inclined to think they are absolutely right and I'm absolutely mm -hmm. wrong. And why? Because, well, because of all this. Mm -hmm. I have all this dysfunction in my mm -hmm. past and all this misery in my past and all this darkness in my past. So, what? so it would take me a while to think. God is being very purposeful mm. and he's, this is what he's got me doing. So I'm talking about, I guess there's been 20 of them now. It still is what I love best. I still want to walk someone through. Now, I want to walk them through the, the long way. 
I'm, I will speak and do these do just these things that are just one night or whatever. One, I, I do a lot of that, and I'm very grateful for it. But my love is to watch a group of people move from A, then over to B, then over to C. I'm a looking true to go some. Yes. Yes. So, it, you know, people have called you a Bible teacher, you know, evangelical, mm-hmm. you know. Heretic. <laughs> but really, at the heart of what you do, do you call yourself a teacher? Absolutely. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it's it, Christianity, we can put it here, where it's very hard to separate the two. But at the heart of Absolutely. what you're doing is teaching Absolutely. what you love. Kate, I knew it in college because when I was trying to figure out what on earth is is the Lord directing me to do. I finished out my political science degree and my English minor, which are still the things, I mean, these are things that, you know, I just, I love my whole life. But even then I got my teacher certificate because I thought, well, hmm. what, what, I, what I could naturally do was explain to someone how to do something. If I was asked, if I, you know, even in a, just a table full of, of people, if there was a, I could somehow explain how to get from here to here if I knew. If so I knew. if you had to pinpoint what Beth Moore is uniquely good at, and I know that, as you just said, that's very hard for you to do, would you say it is explaining things in a way so people can understand I, I think them? that would be true. I think it would be true in writing mm-hmm. and in teaching, you know, in front of a, in front of a class. Um, Yes, and, and I think a lot goes into that. I think mm-hmm. that it's not only gifting, but I think it is also because of my own story mm-hmm. that I struggled so much with, I know what I'm supposed to be. I mean, I'd heard it all my life. I wanted to be those things worse than anything. Right. I wanted to be a good girl, mm-hmm. and then I wanted to be really, wanted to be a good Christian. You know, you can think of all the ways mm-hmm. you would put it growing up in that kind of world. Right. And good example what but the thing was I did not know how and this is one of the things I'm most passionate about because I believe that it's true for many people that we are like okay I I know the what's but for the life of me no one will tell me how Mm -hmm. I I don't know how I want to live different I Mm -hmm. want to be different I want the I want these things I have the will for it but I don't I don't even know how to begin to take those steps mm. and have someone be patient with me long. This, it doesn't happen very often overnight that we walk this journey out um, with God and have to endure through it and, and know one of the sweetest things that, that God has ever taught me is that He really likes to watch things grow. Mm. That if He had meant for us to be complete mm. the moment we knew Him, then he would have done it that way. But he, I think he appreciates the toddling and the tumbling and the learning to walk and learning to run and that we get tripped up. And you know, it's just been, I've had such a messy journey, Kate, but I don't, one thing I can say about my very messy journey is I, the Lord has not let it be wasted. <laughs> so. Because I just live with it right out there. I don't, I don't tell uh, graphic details, but I know what it's like to be a very big mess. Do you, at some point in your Bible teaching, and you, the crowds are getting a little bit bigger, and then they're getting quite big, yes. right? Yes. And did you ever get any pushback from the male leadership of churches oh. wondering to themselves, 
Yes. Hmm. Is a woman supposed to yes. be A in this position? Yes. And this now has become a position of leadership and power. Oh, yes. Such a part of, of my journey. Um, in the days that were most formative to me, mm -hmm. I've thought about this so many times because I thought, man, God had to have been so strategic mm -hmm. because everywhere I went, so when we moved, every time we moved, I went to a different church. And I think how he protected me because I was always under really good leadership that was not really forthright about men being the only ones who could really serve in any area of, certainly in any area that was out front at all mm -hmm. and in any area of leadership. I would not come against that until later. I've said so many times, I came up against your basic sexism, where I knew there was a very big difference between being a woman in the church and a, and a man in the church. I knew that. Mm -hmm. I did not run into full-fledged misogyny, mm -hmm. what I could only call that and, and cannot back down from that, mm -hmm. until I was in the larger sphere where my ministry then began to take me further and further out and put me on notice to people that were not happy about it mm. and were not did, didn't feel I was qualified. And mm. Kate, mm. I'm I'm sure I wasn't. Mm. I was not academically taught. I was not seminary trained. I was a woman that just I loved reading commentary. I loved studying. I loved research. Mm. But the Bible studies got to be enormously popular, more so than I would have dreamed, planned, or asked for, or could deal with. That was not a goal of yours, to sell out Absolutely arenas. Absolutely not. Your goal was no. not to become, no. uh, oh, where you no. sell out an arena, no, no. you sell millions not of books. Not with a background line, absolutely yeah. not. And, and I also want to tell you what complicated it. When you said a moment ago, what? how would you characterize Teacher, definitely. Right. What is my sweet spot in a classroom with a marker board? Mm -hmm. That that's what I love. Mm -hmm. I love to have a size class that I can hear, maybe a couple of hundred where I can hear them react, where I can see if they have a question, where I can say, okay, I, I can tell you're really deliberating on this. What? Well, when you're in a room of 20,000 and what you really are is a teacher more than a speaker, mm -hmm. that's a perfect place for a speaker. It is not a great place for a teacher, mm -hmm. especially one that loves to teach new material all the time. So I just, you know, go in untested material and I'm in, 20, in front of 20,000 people. And, you know, it's just, I've said so many times, my way, my style of my approach with teaching is study, study, study. I mean, just like binge, 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 binge on, on the scriptures and then just go and throw it all up right in front of an audience. Like, and isn't this the most exciting thing we've ever done? So no, it wasn't a natural environment at all. I got to tell you, I did not love it. Hmm. I appreciated it. Hmm. And I've said to the Lord so many times, I thanked him. It is, it, it was such a ride. And but when, you, I, when you say it was such a ride, do you feel like it won't be going forward? Meaning, or do you think like selling out arenas because of it COVID? Is not, it is not my desire. Um, I think these last years have been really good days for more modest thoughts. Mm. If God wants to do that, there's still situations that I'm in where it is like that, but I will not seek that on my own. Our 
conferences now, we, we put them back in church sanctuaries. Mm -hmm. We put them back in regular rooms because I'm, I'm, I'm not seeking that. If, the, if it is the Lord's determined will, mm -hmm. I would do it. But you've got to also remember that day of arenas, it predated all the podcasts, mm -hmm. all the things mm -hmm. that we can get online, right. all the things that are just free. Mm -hmm. And are, that's, it's wonderful. So I, I, just to back up a little bit, because I, I, it's a point I don't want to let go, because I think it's really important. You know, how did you handle the misogyny and the sexism when you had a, a male figure coming to you and saying, I think you might be getting a little too big? It was shocking. I, it was shocking because everywhere I had served, including just, you know, blocks from here down the road 10 minutes or up the road 10 minutes, I had always been shoulder to shoulder with my brothers. Mm. I mean, and so had the other women. We had all served together. We we knew our senior pastor was in charge. There was never, we had a deacon board, all of that. But we, as leadership, as lay leadership at the church, I, I had, we had complete mutual esteem. Yeah, I was never. It, was did, very did it vary what you did did you change your approach or did you have to temper anything that you were doing what i always did the ministry is really interdenominational which is was very very much on purpose mm -hmm. and from the very beginning what i do try to do is that when i'm under that roof for instance all the times that i taught there and it would be the same if i had if i were invited to a Presbyterian gathering or I were, I were invited to Assembly of God or whatever it was, I would still go under that umbrella okay. and I would never be purposeful in teaching something that I knew was not one of their core values. Okay. So that's just respect right. to me. That's what a that's what a speaker or a teacher does. You know that you have been... Know your audience. You've got yeah. to know your audience mm -hmm. and you've got to know you were invited. You, you are, you're under that authority there and so I would be careful. I was much more careful in what I taught. I would be a little more outlandish mm -hmm. out and about <laughs> if it was my event interdenominationally. Yeah. But then I would have been in those classes. But but I, I was completely accepted and wasn't, I, I was, let me say this, I knew sexism existed and under that roof, mm -hmm. but it n never kept me from doing what I felt mm -hmm. called to do. I was, my life was full. I would, there was nothing else I was trying to ask. When I got out into the larger uh, sphere and I began to see myself talked about, it was like I had no place to even put it. Mm. And I, I couldn't, and I still can't, I still can't reconcile some of it because mm. I can't understand. I, I come from a very, very conservative part of the Christian world, but I was raised where there were still times that the pastor might ask a woman to speak at something or would, would you address the church on this or would you, that, I had, that, that was the way I was raised mm -hmm. as a servant and as, you know, in ministry. So when I got out there and it was like I had no business even teaching women, mm -hmm. I had no place, I still don't have any place to put that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you mean mentally? You don't even know what to do with that information coming at you? Absolutely do right. not know. I don't know what to do with it biblically. I am mm. telling you that what I came up against and would still be up against, except there comes to it, 
you come to a place where you just go, I'm not under your subjection. Mm. I'm not, I don't answer to you. Mm. But So has it changed how you feel about women's role in the church? Oh, oh, yes. And, and, because, and what is that? What, what, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought when I came, I wondered if these were, would be the kinds of conversations we might get, get into. And I thought, you know, I've been pretty open with this elsewhere. And so I, 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 I'm glad to tell you this. Mm -hmm. My thing is that women are at least 50% of our Christian communities mm -hmm. or churches. I mean, this is a lot, that's a, that's a lot of humans right there. Mm -hmm. For them to be only given the opportunity, you need to know something. I love nothing better than being a wife and a mother. Mm -hmm. I worked hard so that I could be the one to put them on the bus in the morning, get mm -hmm. them off the bus in the afternoon. I mean, I, I loved family life. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't want to trade any of it off. But what ha happened, what I saw happening, and I still, I still will say this over and over again, is we, there began to be such a hard pull to the right, to the extreme right, mm -hmm. that I began to realize that women were not even going to be able to do what I did. Mm -hmm. That, and it was like, you, wait, mm -hmm. these are gifted women. Mm -hmm gifted in their home. I want them to be able to be to exercise their giftings in their home, their ministries in their home, as well as outside their home, if that's what God calls them to. But women have gifts and I want them to be able to exercise them. And what I saw happening is that it was just gonna be more and more and more and more. It was gonna shift toward all male leadership. This was not the world I was raised in. This was not how it was, and again, it was sexist enough. This was, to me, objectionable. This was, oh no, I protest this. Well, it's funny, um, businesses now that talk about inclusion, diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. and inclusion and making everyone at a, a workplace feel welcome mm -hmm. and that their talents and skills matter. matter. Mm -hmm. And I know a church is very different from a business. But I think one of the roles of a church is to make everyone feel welcome and that if they have something to contribute, that by God, they should let their light shine. Imagine that the very people who are supposed to be preaching and teaching, you are the very image, you were created in the image of God, mm -hmm. that we would be the last ones to say it and to live it out. Maybe we'd say it, but to live it out, that, that's, that's inexcusable. And I gotta tell you something. I. I want people to like me. That's part of being a seven. I don't, I don't want to just be controversial. I wasn't looking for a fight. But what I would wish, I, I, you know, this will be for, I guess, observers to be able to say more than this, an insider. But what I would wish for people to be able to understand is that I fought against people to fight for people. And uh, that wouldn't have been my nature. It wouldn't have been what I set out to do. But I want to see those women flourish 
I want them to understand that they too are tremendously gifted and they have, before they were ever conceived in their mother's womb, divine purpose. And so, yeah, they were, they're worth fighting for. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about those women, it kind of goes back to what you said at the beginning of this conversation. You always keep in mind constantly that there are women that have had a rough go. Yes. Okay. And that can look a, a lot of different ways. Let's just say it that way. Have had a rough run, and you are specifically ministering and talking to them. I hope so. And also, young women. I'm going to tell you something, um, Kate. I don't know how much of my story you know from recent years, but let me. I'll just put it in a nutshell. At the worst of it when I came under tremendous fire in my, own, in, in my own world and it was tremendously painful because you've got to understand it, it was the only world I knew from the inside. It was my, my belonging. It was so much of my identity. Mm -hmm. It was home base for me even though the ministry was interdenominational. That denomination was, that was home to me. It was what I understood where all of it came from. And, all of it grew from and when I came under terrible fire and it was so miserable to get online. Are you talking about when you spoke out about Trump? Yes, in October mm -hmm. 2016. Mm -hmm. I, I, I like very much to have the opportunity to say that he was not really the one I was speaking out mm so much against because I expected him to be exactly like he was. Mm. I did not expect us to be like we were. Mm. And I would have kept my mouth shut. People said, why did you get into politics? Because politics got into us. Mm. And I watched something happen mm. that I thought, oh, no, no, no. This is not us. This is not us. Mm. This is not us. I will say to the death, mm. there is a difference between sexual immorality and sexual criminality mm. and forcing yourself on someone or, or putting your hands on someone mm. that has not invited you to. These are very, very different things. Mm. And so, yeah, and it, when I say it was instantaneous, I lost immediate favor, a favor that I had known for years, women that I had served and loved with everything in me, but what, and it was so swift the backlash was so furious and swift mm -hmm. and it was so miserable. It was like standing in front of a machine gun. Mm -hmm. it, it was like that. My staff, and they were, you got to understand, we are very diverse on purpose. Mm -hmm. So we're very diverse politically. Mm -hmm. So you got to understand some of them are answering the phone that would have very much preferred that I had not gone there. Mm -hmm. And so I can't tell you how painful, mm. but what I did every single day, because I would think the easiest thing on earth I could do is cut myself off from all of it, mm -hmm. get out of the public eye for a while. Most, uh, most leading Christians have not spoken about Trump or politics, and they have not spoken out against how many Christians have supported him in the face of a lot of immorality. Well, there is a good reason for that. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm your cautionary tale right here. And I've said that a few mm -hmm. times. I said, you know, I think in some respects we were meant to be, this is what will happen to you. But Kate, I kept thinking about those young women. I kept thinking of them online. I kept thinking of them on Twitter. And I kept thinking to myself, 
and I'm talking about in the evangelical world, I thought how many women, because it's just not a world in the conservative evangelical world, it's just not a world where they saw a lot of women out front. And I thought, what happens now when they watch me quit? And not quit serving, because this is, this is between me and, and Jesus, but when I quit being in any way public, when it is clear that I can be bullied off, what now, what now? What happens until they see women in the generation before them stay? And so every day, <laughs> I don't care if all I said was, man, the sunrise sure was pretty today. And I'd have to know the second I said it, I was going to be called every concern, every name in the book, <laughs> the worst names. I would have things said to me that you would not say to your worst enemy. Mm. And you, you got to understand, I'm a, I'm a conservative here. You know, I, pro, I'm pro-life here mm-hmm. and I am getting like, I mean, just bliss, just, I mean, skinned alive. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a couple of us, a couple of us that went through this, but it was something. But talk about thinking of those women every day, absolutely. Because I would think to myself, I cannot let them watch me quit. It's almost like you went there politically because you knew that no one else would in the Christian world stand up for them. And for that ideology, and I, I, that idea that, that that that's okay, and it's not okay. That that is right. But I've got to tell you, I didn't even think twice. And I, I'm so glad that I can testify to this because I'm trying to think what my life would have been like in, for the last five years if I had been uncertain and if I had sat there and really been in turmoil over it. There is just absolutely no world that you could come from my background, none, and then grow up with faith in God to value a woman's life, put her life back together, give her dignity she didn't have and not take up for those women. So. Here's this, I, it wasn't like I sat there and went, should I do this or yeah. not? Yeah. It, there, and then because- It was worth the barrage of bullets. It was worth all it of was the all hate I could that do. came. Yeah. It's, it's the, it was the only thing yeah. and it has continued to be. And I'll, I'll tell you one thing, because this, this matters to me, that one group, I, I was asked to apologize to a group where I was about to speak and they didn't want me to come unless I did. Mm-hmm. and it was the, their leadership and I'll just never forget it because I said I'm trying to understand how you would have expected me not to react to that transcript mm-hmm. and as long as I live I will never forget the response it was like oh we haven't read it mm-hmm. wait I'm having to apologize. Mm. I didn't say it like that then, but I was astounded because I thought you're talking you're about the Trump transcript of what he said of the excess right. Hollywood. Ta- right. I'm in deep trouble, and I need to apologize. And you don't know what he mm. said mm. that my peers buddied around him for and made excuses for. I mean, I, listen, 
most of the people that were just like the rah-rah, I mean, I'm not talking about just that he, that it would just be the best case of a bad case scenario. <laughs> I'm talking about, I am talking about true Trumpers to the bone. Mm-hmm. And so many of those were my peer age and my peers. Yep. And it was like, what in the world? What in the world are we doing? Because you see, I had been around in the Clinton era. Mm-hmm. I had watched, I heard all of them I'd, and agreed with all of them. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. What are we doing here? Mm-hmm. So anyway, it was so messy. It was so messy. And you know, it's continued to be messy, but I, I love how you said that you know, you didn't go into politics or you didn't mean to speak out on politics. It found you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. When you start then coming in to our churches, and by, I mean, this kind of politics, when I do not, this is my conviction. I know I have a lot of good friends that would not agree with me on what I'm about to say. I believe it is a mistake for people of Christian faith to marry a political party. I Mm. think it is a mistake Mm. because it sets up a natural course of compromise. Mm -hmm. It's going, it's not, it's not, will it happen? It's that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm a believer in, in pro-life from, from the moment of conception all the way to death, which means I care very much what happens to people of color, very much. These things, I don't see any one party that is really addressing the wholeness of my gospel concerns. So how can I do that? I have to sit back further than that. I have to make more intelligent to sit what, I, again, a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that, but I have to make different decisions on that. What, what is it that I have, I'm, I have deep biblical concerns for the poor? What now? What? So I can't. How do I? Right. So how do I value what? Um, people say, well, this is more important. I, I understand what you're saying. Why must we choose? Right. During the pandemic, a lot of people started sourdough starters. They had came <laughs> yes. up with all sorts of hobbies yes. that they had. Carbs. Yes, it was definitely the carbs. <laughs> but you actually built a vineyard. I did. And started to grow vines. I did. Why did you do that? I did. Okay, Kate. I have a feeling that you're like this too. I love to learn stuff. Yes, I do. This, this also, this is part of what makes up a teacher is that I don't want to just hand off all the studying to somebody. I love the research process. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a book that was based on John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Mm -hmm. My father is the gardener. Mm -hmm. And instead of just staying with that one place, what I love to do is I love to lock into one place and focus the camera on it uh, in, in study and then pull it out to a panoramic view, and then I want to see where it finds its place in the entire scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. So then I pulled it out and started looking, man, there are vines all the way from the beginning to the end, and I mean, it's over and over and over again. And so I got so fascinated. So not only did I do the Bible research, but I decided, well, I need to know, why would he use this metaphor? Because it's a grapevine. He's saying, "I, I want to compare, this was the night he is arrested the last metaphor he is giving them. I mean, when he says this, I want you to remember this. It is this particular metaphor. 
And so it's like, okay, why, why? Mm. Well, the analogies just never do end. Mm. But I decided, so I, I went all sorts of places. I went to all sorts of vineyards and got tours and all of that so that I could see them. Because there's a lot of work that goes into starting you a vineyard, right? You cannot even imagine. It has been, because I do some gardening too, and it's like, oh no, this is its whole. And it's a lot of pruning, oh, right? And cutting it back. It is just, and disappointment. <laughs> You know, this one will, this one will wilt. This, it has been more drama. It's so mm. suited for me because mm. I've got so much drama and it's so dramatic. But so I decided when I got to the end of the book, so I wrote the book, Chasing Vines. And when I got to the end of it, because I hadn't had time before that, when I got to the end of it, I thought, I'm putting one in. Mm. So I did. I ordered 16 vines wow. and I have a tiny little bit. I mess with them every day. I have already been with them this morning. I will go back to them this afternoon. And what has that taught you? A lot of patience. One of the things that's very different about vines is that you are not going to be able to let them fruit. They're very slow mm. before they'll give you really quality fruit. Mm. So it's a long-term process where if I plant a tomato right. vine, then I'm going to have tomatoes that season. Sure. You don't get to do that with vines. Wow. You're cutting those things back over and over again. Yeah. Of course, this is the analogy is it yeah. just takes a while because they've got, if they get to produce mm. like they want to, if they're not under stress and they get, then they'll just be mostly leafy. And then they'll produce some fruit, but they'll have a very thin stalk and very, very weak roots. Well, it gets back to what you were saying before about how God likes yes. to watch things evolve grow. and grow. That's how I learned that statement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You learned that from the mm -hmm. vineyard. Yeah. If somebody asked me at the end of that book, what was my biggest takeaway? That he loves it. Mm. That he would choose that very thing. And I'm not saying that this was purposeful, mm. but I am going to say that he had spent three years with these disciples before he said that to them that night. And it takes exactly three years before a vine is ready to really produce a grape that is going to be quality enough to turn into something that would either be good for the table or good for the glass. So mm -hmm. it was fascinating. I'm still so fascinated by it. Every season, you know, I read yeah. my books and this is what I'm supposed to be doing and this is how I fertilize, this is how I cut back and oh yeah, yeah. I want to change gears here for just one second because I want to just kind of finish this vine, if you will, of this conversation. What would you say to a young woman who wants to get into ministry, who wants to be a Bible teacher, but she is experiencing pushback from some of the male leadership in her church? One of the things that I would say is that if she is not going to have the freedom to flourish in her gifting, that might not be the place she needs to be. Mm. So now I know that that is not always possible. It's not always, right. maybe that your whole family's there. Right. You've got you've got young children that town. are very happy. You're yeah. in a small town. Yeah. So, so sometimes it's not possible, but I will say, and I feel this way about seminary because so many young women say, you know, I'm interested in going to seminary. Where should I go? Well, I'm going to ask them every single time. And my daughter's taught me to ask this because uh, she's you know, done the more academic route and she's got a seminary degree. And, and so she's taught me to say to them, what is it you want to do? Because be careful that if, are you going to be able to do? I mean, like you can spend all that money on an education, but when you come out with it, 
with that degree, are you going to be able to do with it what you want, mm -hmm. what you feel like God's calling you to do? So those are things that they really must ask themselves. And in many of their environments, maybe it is that there's just enough security and freedom in that place where they can do what they've been called to do. And that can be all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But uh, if they're not, they, they really, I would suggest to them they, they might need to look for a different place. So find a place where they can, they can plant and grow. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, sometimes that will take place outside. I'm not going to say sometimes, often. I'm, I am a local church person. That's just always been part of my life. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect it always will be until I die. I just love that mm -hmm. part of community life. But for a lot of women that especially, so the world I know best, remember, is conservative evangelicals pretty far over. I would have told you that I was just about as far to the right mm -hmm. as you could get, but that did not turn out to be true. There was a whole, there was a whole <laughs> space right here that I thought, whoa, I did not know you guys existed. So let's talk about this. You have, you know, when you think of Southern Baptist churches, I, I, many of them have had a, a Beth Moore Bible yes. study taught in their church, yes. right? And so that is how you have always identified as Southern Baptist. Yes. Is that you yes. made the very difficult decision to leave yes. the Southern Baptist Church. Yeah. Why did you make that? I mean, it, I got to tell you, I could not give you words too dramatic mm. for the pain of this. Mm. One of the things that people, it's, it's such a world of its own that it's almost hard to describe, but it, it, it was all I had ever known. And so let me put it in a nutshell this way. When I talk about Southern Baptist Convention or the SBC, it certainly is not speaking of all people that are Southern Baptists and all their churches because all the churches are autonomous. That's one of the things that makes the Southern Baptist Convention distinct mm -hmm. is there's not a diocese or, or anything mm -hmm. like that. There's no, it's all the churches that they're congregationalists by and large. Mm -hmm. So there are so many, there's so many exceptions to what I'm about to say, but what I was so far in and so far up and so far embedded that, you know, you're you can't unknow what you know. Mm -hmm. And so I was at a place where there was so much that I was seeing, and it was not just limited to uh, women's issues, but it was, it was, it also involved issues of race, and it involved issues of what I found to be a very disturbing Christian nationalism. But again, everywhere, no, I, I never have said that from the beginning. But in powerful enough places, and the places that I was most aware of, and that had, I felt, had tremendous impact on the larger community. And certainly, certainly it was our reputation publicly. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm responding to that. So uh, yeah. But the Southern Baptist leadership did not align with what you believe. The part of it that was most powerfully influential to me and what I felt like was most obvious to the public I would say that that was true. Mm. I've said so many times, I fought it because I truly loved it so much. But my fear that it was going to continue on, that where it looked like it was going, that it was just gonna continue to go that direction, it was just a terrifying thought to me. Mm -hmm. And I no longer felt like 
I, I, I felt like that I'll be this blunt. I felt that Trump brought out the absolute worst in conservative evangelicalism. The absolute worst. Mm -hmm. It tapped into something. Of course, there's all that history, but it was like it tapped into something that brought so much of it to the forefront. Mm -hmm. And so much what I experienced was flat out bullying. Mm. And I mean, not a little and not from a lot, a lot mm -hmm. and from very powerful people in very powerful places mm. where I'm going like, you know what, this isn't godly. Mm. I mean, it's not only, I mean, we disagree, but there is a way we would treat one another as people of faith, right. that this is so outside of that, I can't even make it fit. Mm -hmm. And so I, I came to a place, and, and I did because it had been building up and building up and building up, and I had been feeling more and more lost. I don't mean that in, <laughs> in the term, in religious terms, or in biblical terms, I just mean more like, where do I belong, where right. do I belong? But a particular thing happened and it was so, what I felt like the repercussions of it was, involved false witness. It made me out to be something that I'm not, mm -hmm. something that I never sought to be, which mm -hmm. is all of a sudden, I'm leading women to take over the pulpits right. of America, all this, I mean, ridiculous stuff. And it was so, it was so devastating because it was my, there's just nothing like feeling like you have been turned on maliciously and, and, and in this way deceitfully because it just, it wasn't true. Mm -hmm. And listen, there's so much not to like about me that's true. I mean, you don't have to go reaching for stuff. I've got plenty of stuff that's out there to go for, but this was a, such a misrepresentation that it was deceptive. And I mean, we, I was dropped from churches like this mm -hmm. And it was devastating. So let, let me ask you this. Where do you go from here? What is your mission moving forward? And if you had to be crystal clear on what's ahead for Beth Moore and what's ahead for the impact that you'd like to have, what, what would that be? One of the things I guess I love best about walking with God is that you don't know where you're going. Mm. And one of the good things, it's so interesting that we're having this conversation today because last night, one of my coworkers sent me two pictures. I posted them this morning from Bible study. I'm, it was from a night where we met for many, many years down the road from here, 3,300 seats, all of them are full. And you can, I'm, you can see I'm really tiny up on the stage down the road because the, the, the camera is way high and they've all got at their Bible maps. And, you know, I knew just what I was teaching and all looking at it and spent so many years with that. And I cried so hard last night. I mean, so hard. And then I did the same thing this morning. And I thought, get this over with. So that by the time, so that if Kate happens to trip this switch at all, you don't do this over lunch. And I'm not going to because I got it out of my system. But the loss, the feeling of loss of that is so traumatic and so uh, painful, but it was the only way I was going to be able to 
live with this situation that I was in, mm -hmm. is to somehow say, I've been asked so many times, what, Beth, what, because these are people I love. Mm -hmm. And I have been asked so many times, Beth, what in the world do you want from the SBC? Mm -hmm. And I will get a chance to say it to you, prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. Show the world that you do not have this deep-rooted racism. Mm -hmm. Show the world that you really are not Christian nationalists. Mm -hmm. Show the world that you really are not misogynist. Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to tell you something. If it takes somebody in a very public way walking away to say, something's got to change, these were not the people I knew. Mm -hmm. So where I am now is on quite the adventure. What we did, uh, because the thing about it, that what went with it. Well, you've I, built an entire world, and now your path is shifting. You have come to a fork in the road. Huge fork. And felt like I was, that they didn't want me anymore. Mm. That I, I no longer belo belonged. Mm. And I had, I'd, I'd loved their women for a long time. And you know, it just was very painful. It was like a death. I believe and, you. And like a, like a primary death, yes. not like of, of a good friend, like your flesh and blood. It was that kind of death. So that brings me back to the question I asked because I, I, I'm, I think I understand you loud and clear about how difficult and how painful and how rough it really was for you. But now... Mm -hmm. Now I'm back in that, here's this beautiful thing now, about faith, yeah. Back in the, what I would call the wind of the spirit, where you don't know what's gonna happen, where you don't know what you can count on, what happened to us, because I loved my publisher so much, I loved the people at Lifeway so much, but to walk away from the SBC, from some of that, that hierarchy that I knew I had to object to, to walk away from it, I had to, because think of it if I was in a marriage of sorts right. with them and I was right then the contract my marriage contract was the publisher right. so I had to walk away from all so we pull it all into 15 people at Living Proof Ministries we take on the next Bible study we produce it ourselves we take all our events back on but listen what happens so we put out that we are okay we're, we're doing all our own events now we put it out and then we watch, oh, somebody just signed up. <laughs> then somebody else signed up and, oh, we're gonna have 200 people at that event. I, I don't know if this makes any sense to yeah. you, but we are back in that zone where we can count on nothing You're in a but startup. God. You're in a startup. Oh, we started over. Yeah. But the thrill of it, I can't even tell you that this new Bible study that we can't keep on our ridiculous shelves, <laughs> that it just keeps, I, I've got two moments again, Kate, that it's just like when one of my employees comes to me and said, we're, we're, we're having to reprint again, I'm going like, what? <laughs> because it's, this is ridiculous. This you know, is... I'm in my mid-60s for crying out loud, and it's like we started over, but it's like we just have iron in our blood, it's like that, like swigging back uh, about a dozen Red Bulls yeah. because we can take nothing for granted. Yeah. And you know, there's healing. I've had a number of Southern Baptist churches that have called and said, "We'd love, we'd love to have you here if you would 
come back and serve at some point. You know, you know just the fun, the fun of it. It is oh. fun. And, and this is, you have a story, you had a story of reinvention, and you are living a story of reinvention. Absolutely living it. I, I said to the Lord recently, because Keith and I have joined a church this big. Are we all done with our lunch, ladies? I Cody, think... yes, I'm going to have to take some home with me. <laughs> Most definitely. But it was just as good as I was hoping that it would be for my guest. I'm glad y'all enjoyed everything. So yeah, you talk about alive, but also just the thrill of watching. I've got such a wonderful staff of young women and they're like, they don't know, they didn't experience any of that. So they're not looking over their shoulder at the old days. Yes. This is, this is all they've got is that this, this right here and it's exciting and it's, and it's fresh and it's new. And so when Keith and I decided I mean, we were like, what on earth are we going to do? Because we, we, na we naturally plant our lives in a local church, and we chose a really small one. And the first way I got to serve was to bring cookies for a student gathering. You know, it was just like... <laughs> wasn't that, and you've been to many churches, so you've had that experience, but you had been at the other church for so long. So long. And, that, and, and I'm sure it was like family. That's what you're talking about being painful. Oh, oh. oh. But why did the publisher, what I'm, I'm curious as to why the publisher dropped you. They didn't drop me. Oh. I, I stepped away okay. because I couldn't step away. It was a Southern Baptist publisher. Oh, so it had to I be a clean. Yes. Yeah. I get but it. But it was part of the, the pain of it because I love them so much. And, and they've been, been my co-worker so long. And how many Bible? I've done 19 Bible studies with them. <laughs> you did 19 with them. So 20 oh, was that done. that is just, just us. And, um, and they, that my team there also wept. It was extremely hard. Well, for us. It, it, it was it, extremely hard. I can only imagine, first of all, I don't know what your preferred scenario for Bible teaching is. Um, you talk about the heart of being a teacher and your stadium tours, if you will, um, were mammoth, right? Gargantuan. Yes. yes. And there's a reason why we do to dine for at a table because you really get to the heart of someone. Oh, yeah. In a smaller setting, Things, they just, they ring different in a they smaller do. setting. They do. And you often, you just wonder, you know, I'm sure you'll continue to do your work just in yes. different venues. You oh, wonder yes. if it, in a way, All we it'll was, be more effective. You know, we've, I don't want to say more so, effective. sort of you know. gone miniature, mm -hmm. but we are so alive. Yes. We've got to be. Yes. But we are and so awake and everything is celebrated yeah. because nothing is assumed right and uh it's been one of the most exciting times when you spend a whole life learning everything you've learned that knowledge has got to mean something it's got to count for something it's got to affect who we are as people and if it doesn't or you turned a blind eye to that you're not true to yourself that's right i mean and that's what we've got isn't it that we lay our head on our pillow and and to the best that we know how, we've lived genuine lives yep. and that we didn't sell out. And in order to protect myself and the ministry, I felt like I would have to sell out. And it was just... Wasn't going to happen. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. You yeah. still got to live with the person 
I got to live with a person whose mascara I put on every morning of my life. And a magnificent job at that. Thank you. Yes. And one final question, and maybe the most important question of the meal. Can I have your buttermilk biscuit recipe? You may absolutely <laughs> have it, and it will be passed to you from a very dear friend of mine who is the best cook I know. Yes. Because I follow you on social, and I have seen those biscuits, oh, and they look amazing. Yes, but you have to let me end one more way, because yeah. I've got a gift for you. Oh, okay, So great. hold on. Can, great. I can give yeah, up, absolutely, can I, Yeah, absolutely. Gentlemen? Thank you. It would just be appropriate <laughs> for you to be able to have it in a Taste of Texas gift bag. Thank so you. please. A is keepsake. A, oh my gosh. Because they have a store. It's not they just have food. They also have a store. Yes, you can get all manner of things. So you have Try your getting this own through security. Steak knives that have living proof on them and taste oh, of Texas. Awesome. So please know you. that you are always welcome with thank, us. Thank we you, are so happy to meet you. Thank you so much for having my me pleasure. and for this amazing, for nourishing conversation. It's been wonderful. Thank you. And I actually need steak knives, so this is perfect. I can make yes. them to you so that you will not have to take them back. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> I'll get stopped for these guys, that's for sure. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.